Well, good morning, church. As Jeff mentioned, we are taking a break and are preaching through the Gospel of John. So if you would, turn to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be looking at chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. And I was just reflecting on, on God's faithfulness. And I, I was looking back, and you know, this church was actually planted in December of, of 2014. And so this year will be our eighth year, actually our ninth year of, of um, going through a, a Christmas series and, you know, I was thinking about what we, what we sang earlier, and uh, we sang these words, he who is mighty has done a great thing. And we know that ultimately that is giving us our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but, but he does so much more than that. He continues to, to do great things in this world, and it's because of him that, that we come and we worship. And, and as, as Jeff mentioned, our series name is Adoration at Advent. And Advent is, is a special time for us. It's a, it's a time for us to kind of refocus. You know, we know that, that Christmas can be kind of a, a place that we kind of get lost in, in the season, and, and we don't want to miss this fact that it is about Jesus Christ. And so I just want to encourage us with that. And so the passage we're going to be looking at is verse 26 through verse 38 of Luke. But before I get there, I, I'd just like to give a, a brief um, synopsis of what has been going on in chapter 1. And, and there's really a contrast in this passage uh, with verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 5 through 25. And, and what Luke is doing, he's, he's showing that there's some parallels between the birth of, of John the Baptist and the birth of Christ. These men are going to be are, are, are two cousins. These two babies are two cousins. Uh, Mary and Elizabeth have both been told through the agency of the angel Gabriel that, that they are going to bear children. Both Elizabeth and, and Mary have these miraculous pregnancies. Uh, these men will grow up to, to have two great lives. But, but Luke wants to get us to, to understand this, that, that Jesus is superior that Jesus is greater. And, and Jesus will even say of, of John the Baptist, he will say this in, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. He says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. And so we don't want to diminish John the Baptist and his role, but we remember that, that, that John the Baptist was a prophet who was coming to prepare the way for the Lord. Yet Jesus Christ is Lord. And there's a far greater difference between the two of them. Yes, he was conceived uh, in his mother's womb at, a, at an old age uh, by her husband, Zachariah. But Mary, on the other hand, was a, was a virgin. And so we see that it's much, a, a gr much greater miracle that Jesus would be conceived uh, in a virgin than just simply... Zachariah and Elizabeth having a child in their old age. But as I said, this is a, a time of the year that I think that we can, we can easily lose our, our focus. And, and sometimes, you know, especially I think when, when kids are young, they, they can have a, a focus on, you know, what am I going to get this season? I hope that I've, I've grown out of that. <laughs> I remember that as a kid. What am I going to get? But also we can, we can easily get into this this idea of what am I going to give? You know, making sure that, uh, that, that 
I've gotten everybody covered. And, and we'll often say this at, at Christmas time. Are you ready for Christmas? I think what that means often is this. Do you have all your shopping done? <laughs> but Christmas is, is more than that. And I pray that this time of, of going through Advent and going through this, this passage is, is, is a means to, to set our place right. So if, if I were to ask you, are you ready for Christmas? You would answer that, yes, Jesus has the right place in my heart, that he is at the center of this, this season, that, that, that I am celebrating his incarnation, that he became a man and he made his dwelling among us. So let's go ahead and look at our passage, Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. And this is the word of God. In the sixth month, speaking of uh, Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we do pray that, that our hearts would be set right during this Christmas season, but not just in this season, Lord, that, that on a daily basis, Lord, we would understand that, that our lives are, are hidden in Christ that our lives were, were purchased by him, and that because of that, we are servants of yours. And, and in, do, in, in so doing that, that you have purchased us, Lord, that we can live for you, or that we can love as, as you have loved. And Lord, we just thank you again for your grace to us, that you sent your, your one and only son into the world to save sinners such as us. In his name we pray. Amen. As I said, it's been eight years since the planting of this church, and just reflecting, I, I can't really remember eight years ago when I, when I think of political things or uh, things in the news. We were going through a, a, a time of, of change in our own lives in, in planting this, this church, but over these last few years, there's been really some great changes in our culture and our, our society, and we're being told more and more that we need to embrace 
things like uh, sexual identity and this revolution. We're, we're, we're told that, that in some ways that uh, we have to embrace CRT or critical race theory and these worldly ideologies. We, we know over the last couple of years we, we've experienced the, the coronavirus and, and not just the coronavirus. It's one thing to have a virus that is infecting people and, and actually causing the death of people, but it's another thing in, in how the government responds to this. And, and so in all these things, and, and I could easily, what I could easily happen to me as a Christian is I could, I could begin to, to look at these things in the world and I can, I can lose my sense of, of direction and, and, and my sense of hope and, and where my hope lies. And I, and I can think this has to happen politically and this has to happen. And, and if things are going to change, this is going to have to happen. And, but what I have to remember is that in my Christianity, in, in my, my worldview, I have to look at these things through the eyes and the lens of who Christ is and where he stands. And I also have to, when I look at other people and I, are, I start to grow in, in maybe animosity towards them, those who hold different beliefs with me, whether they be other brothers in Christ or, or even the lost, I, I can easily have an animosity towards them. And I can, I can forget who I am a, as a Christian. And I recognize that, that I need to be shaped by something else other than the world. I need to be shaped first and foremost by, by the Word of God and what the Word of God tells me, not only about who I am as, as a Christian, but also who the lost are as unbelievers. And I have to remember where I came from. I'm reminded of what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, you were at one time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's a, a great reminder for us as Christians that as we live in a world, we, we can't let the world influence us, but we need to remember who we are, that yes, we were, we were un, once alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants and without hope, but God changed us and, and moved us from people who had no hope to people with a great hope. But it was God's doing. And unless God breaks into the lives of those who don't know him, as he does in this passage, unless he breaks into the lives of, of these, these lost sinners, they're without hope. And that we would see ourselves not as enemies of theirs, but as ambassadors for Christ, that we would make our appeal to them, that, that God might give them grace through faith to believe in Jesus Christ. Amen. And I am grateful that during this, this Christmas season, our hearts can be turned to, to Christ through Christmas, that we can orient our hearts to Jesus Christ. And Christmas can do that. And, and, and it starts with a desire, doesn't it? Because often as Christians, we know that we do not live as, as Christ calls us to live. But it starts with a, a desire, a desire to be conformed to the image of Christ, to live by His Word, to walk according to the Holy Spirit. You know, I, as a Christian, I think we all have that desire at some level, but it brings us to a place of repentance. Lord, I know that I have not loved the lost as I 
as I ought, and, and I have not loved others in the church as I ought, and I have not loved you, Lord, as I ought. But it also leads to a prayer that, God, I, my heart is that I would be, and prayer is that I would be pure before you, to, to think like, like a, a believer. You know, Paul tells us in, in Romans 12 that we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we would know what the will of God is, that we would, that we would think like a believer, that we, would, that we would live like a believer, that we would act like a believer, that we would love like a believer, and that our desires would be ultimately to, to exalt Christ. And how do we know what that is? I think it's by living according to His Word, understanding His Word. And we, we sang that earlier, didn't we? You know, we? Living according to His Word. And so, as we focus on our passage today, you know, we have to come to this place where we see the Word of God as a transforming power in our lives. That as we hear the Word of God preached, as we read the Word of God, we, we say, God, change me through this. So as we study this passage today, I want, to, I want us to be encouraged to, to love God and to see God at work. And, and, and as I said about these unbelievers, unless God breaks into their life, they would be without hope. But unless God broke into history in, through the incarnation of Jesus Christ, through the Virgin Mary, we would be without hope. So let's go ahead and look at our first point. This is God's message to Mary our first point is this, a, a modest beginning. It's a modest beginning. Verse 26 through 27 says this. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. This is an amazing announcement given to this, this young woman. We don't, at this point, we don't know anything about Mary, do we? She's just this young, young girl. Most scholars believe that she was probably in her teens. Just a young girl in this obscure town. And the angel Gabriel has appeared earlier to, to Zachariah, Elizabeth's husband, and now he has appeared to Mary, and he tells her that she's going to be the mother of the Messiah. You know, and the, if we look back at, at the nation of Israel and, the, and really through the, the whole Old Testament, we see that, that the nation has been waiting, has been waiting for the Messiah to come. You know, at this point of time, we have to understand that the Israel had been in captivity by the Roman government for about 60 years. But in some ways, God had been silent for, for almost 400 years. And so there was this anticipation, there was this hope that, that the Messiah would come. But this had not just been happening for 60 years or even 400 years. No, it goes back to, to the very beginning, back to the fall. And if we go back to the beginning in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God says to the serpent, he says this, he says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He, meaning the seed of the woman, shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. There's going to be this conflict between the serpent and the seed of this, this woman, and we know that as we look through the Old Testament, we see the unfolding and, and the looking and, and the, the longing for the coming of the Messiah. And we know that Adam and Eve had 
a son Cain and a son Abel, and, and we, we could easily think that maybe they believed that one of these two would be the seed of the woman that would crush the serpent's head. But we know eventually that Cain killed his brother Abel, and yet they had another son named Seth, and we know that Seth's name means appointed. And, and so you see this, this looking through the Old Testament, who is this Messiah going to be? And eventually God calls Abraham, and then Isaac, and then, and then Jacob, and then one of Jacob's sons, Judah. It says of him that the scepter shall not depart from Judah, that, that from Judah the, the king will come. And then we're introduced to this king, David, and Ruth at the end of the book of Ruth. And David comes, and we're told that, that the Messiah will eventually sit on the throne of, of David. And all that to say that, that we've been, they've been waiting for thousands of years for this to take place. And God sends the angel Gabriel to this young woman, telling her that, Mary, you're going to be the mother of the Messiah. And God is sending him into the world through you. And besides Gabriel's appearance to, to Zechariah and Mary, the only other place that Gabriel is mentioned is in, in Daniel chapter 8 and, and chapter 9. And, and in chapter 9, we see that, that, that Gabriel is dispatched to Daniel because of Daniel's prayer. Daniel prays this amazing prayer. It's a prayer of, of repentance for his people. It's a prayer for the salvation and the redemption of his people. And God responds by sending Gabriel to Daniel. And I love what Gabriel says to Daniel. He says this, basically, I've come to tell you what is going to take place. And then he gives this prophecy of the coming of the Messiah that will be hundreds of years later. But he says, I've come to tell you what is going to take place, for you are greatly loved. Daniel, you're greatly loved. And then Gabriel comes to, to Mary and he tells her, Mary, you are, you are highly favored. I mean, a, a similar statement to this, this young woman, you are highly favored. It wasn't, it wasn't like God just put names in a hat and said, I'm going to pick one out. No, there was a purpose in Mary. Mary was, was highly favored. And, and you might think if, if you were given the task of, of giving birth to the Messiah and raising the Messiah, you would wonder, is that favor? That's a, that's a huge responsibility to, to raise the Messiah. But, but Mary was highly favored. And you were, you're going to be part of the history of the Messiah coming into the world. You're going to be his mother. And as I said, they, they were expecting this because of the Old Testament prophecies, but, but they weren't expecting what it says in the the second half of, of verse 26, where it says this, that he, Gabriel, was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And this helps us to, I think, to under, understand the depth at which God loves. Yes, they expected the Messiah to come and they expected the announcement, but they didn't expect that it would be announced in a a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And Galilee, the, the region of Galilee is, is known, is known uh, Galilee of, of, of the Gentiles. And so it was a mixture of, 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 of Israelites and a mixture of, of Gentiles. Uh, but Nazareth was, was a, a humble town, and it wasn't, it wasn't Jerusalem, and it, it wasn't Rome. 
Remember I preached on John chapter 1 where Nathaniel said to Philip, he says this, he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> can anything good? That's what Nazareth was known by. Is it, it, what's so big about Nazareth? And I remember preaching that sermon just a, a year or so ago, and as, as we were preaching through that, I, it reminded me, this, this little town of Nazareth, uh, a town that my family is, is from in, in Rosendale, Missouri. This little town had, had just a, a, a post office, a, a little general store, and a gas station. This is when I was a kid. And, and I remember driving into that town, and it used to have a sign, and, and every time I would drive into that town, it would say, you know, Rosendale, Missouri, population. 250. And I thought, you know, they're definitely counting everybody else around the town as well, because there definitely wasn't that many people there. This little town, anybody besides my family ever heard of Rosendale, Missouri? No. Nazareth maybe had a few hundred people. The small town, and yet God breaks into history, into this humble, this humble little town, but not only the location, but what about Mary herself? This humble young woman, as I said, she's probably in her, her teens. She wasn't a princess. She wasn't wealthy. God didn't choose to send Gabriel into, to a king's palace, to the, to the most wealthy of families, to the best dressed, to the most educated. No, he sent Gabriel, the angel Gabriel to Galilee of all places and to Nazareth. And that's where God sends Gabriel to this young girl who, is, who has been chosen. And, and I think one of the things we, we can see in this that, that God has shown his love not only by coming to earth, but, but by coming to the low, lowest of people, to the smallest of town, to this lowly, humble young woman. And it reminds me of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 26 through 27, he says, and he's speaking to us as Christians. He says, for, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to, to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. You know, and the, it's a humble beginning for the gospel to break into history. And he uses Mary. And I, you know, I, I think Mary is, is pretty amazing. How she responds, what, what her heart is. I mean, she is favored. I think she's pretty amazing. But we see in these humble beginnings, it, it points to more than Mary. You know, it also points to to who Jesus Christ will be. You know, he will say of himself that he was what? Gentle and lowly in heart. He will say later that the birds have nests and the foxes have dens, but, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You know, he was the King of kings and the Lord of lords, yet he didn't come and, and live in a, in a palace. No, he, he became a servant that he might suffer on a, a cross for our sins. And we left the, all the pleasures of heaven to, to become a, a man and to suffer and die for us. But 
think that helps us in, to understand and something about how we ought to live and how we ought to hold on to this, this world lightly. You know, as we come to Christmas, do we think outside the confines of our own families? Do we, do we think about those people around us who, who may not have anything to offer maybe their children or have anything to, or anyone to spend Christmas with? Do we think about those people? Do we bring them in? Do we love them? Just as Christ brought us in and loved us. Brothers and sisters, we understand that we have been filled with the, the Spirit of God and the, it's the, the same Holy Spirit that indwells us that caused Mary to become pregnant. You know, and it makes us hold on to this world lightly and it brings us to a place you know, that we have to look at ourselves and ask, how, how am I living right now? Am I living a, a humble life? Am I living a content life? Or am I worried about all the things that I need to accumulate, the house I need to get, the car that I need to get, the things that I need to get. Thinking that I need to, to make something of myself rather than something of, of Christ. Now, this, it's a humble and a modest beginning. But secondly, we see in verse 28 through 30 that it's a marvelous honor that is bestowed on Mary. Verse 28 says, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You know, and Christians for, for hundreds of years have been contemplating the honor and the privilege that Mary has had as the mother of Jesus Christ. And, and, and it's an amazing honor to be given the task of, of caring and giving birth and raising the Savior of the world. And that would be regardless, as I said earlier, regardless of whether she was conceived by, as a virgin. I mean, what an what a honor to be chosen out of all the women of the world to, to, to actually raise the Messiah. But you see that that Mary didn't take this lightly, because you see it in her response, but, but she, was greatly, she was greatly troubled. How many of us would be troubled if, if we were given such an honor? And I think this reflects her humility and a, a sense of, of why me, God? Who am I that you would, that you would choose me to, out of all the women of the world? But he says in verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. I think what Gabriel is telling her is that, no, Mary, you, you have a great honor. You, you've been chosen for this, for this purpose, for this special assignment, and God is with you. And if God is asking you, Mary, to do this, and He is with you, then you can do this. And we'll see that in her answer later. And Martin Luther said this, No woman has ever lived on earth to whom God has shown, has shown such grace. I think, is that, is that a grace being given this amazing task? Yes, it's, it's a grace. Because she must rely on God's grace. You know, later on in verse 42 of chapter 1, Elizabeth will say to her, Blessed are you among women. Blessed are you among women. 
And we know that this is true. She was given a marvelous honor, and Mary was chosen to carry the Son of God, and that, that is an honor. But, but how do we look at ourselves? And Because she was chosen to carry the Son of God, but we have been chosen to be children of God. We've been chosen to be children of God, and that is an honor. And, and John will say in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, he says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And I love how he finishes. He says, and so we are. That's an exclamation point on this, that we have a great honor to be called the children of God. John says in John chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, he says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What an honor that we have, and and so we are. And we can say that Mary does have a special place, and this is true. But remember remember when Mary and her and Jesus' brothers were trying to get to him, and the, and the disciples came, hey, look, Jesus, your, your mother and, and your brothers want, want to see you, and they're here. And Jesus responds, those who hear my word and do it, they are my mother and brothers. See what, what Jesus is doing? He's contrasting. He's saying, look, Mary had a special honor, but if you do, if you hear my word and do it, you are my mo- mother and brothers. What a great honor we have. Yes, Mary had a, a special place, but, but we also have a special place. Yes, we know that Jesus loved his mother. When he was on the cross, what did he say to John? Behold, John, your mother. Behold, woman, your son. John was to take care of her. Jesus had a, a great love for his mother, but he also had a great love for us. And In fact, this is what the, the reason for his coming was, to, to demonstrate his his love towards us. And, and so Mary's honor doesn't diminish who we are in Christ. No, but one thing we have to remember is that, that Mary was honored because of her relationship to him. She, she gave birth to other children, and she's not honored in the same way that, that she is because she gave birth to Christ. Yes, every woman is honored because they give birth to children. But, but she was honored because of her relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we are honored because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and so it's about Him, which brings us really to our, our third point, that we have a, a mighty Savior. Verse 31 says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. We know that the fact that she was, he was conceived in, in her womb really speaks to his humanity, the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was fully man. He was much a man as, and a person just as you are. He was conceived in his mother womb, and you know, he was there for, for nine months. Again, it says, you, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his, his name Jesus. And the, the name tells us of his his mission, and his ministry while he was on earth. Jesus, or Yeshua, means Jehovah is salvation. Jesus came to carry out salvation for his people. Some would say, well, 
You know, Jesus was, was just the way maker. You know, he just made a way for us to get to heaven. No, Jesus wasn't simply the way maker, or, and he wasn't just the one to show us the way to heaven. He was and is the way to heaven. No, he, he came to, to rescue us from our sins, and we have all sinned and, and fallen short of the glory of God, and he came on, on a rescue mission, and in his name there is this title, this, this mission, Jehovah is Salvation. I like what Steve Lawson said. He said, Jesus came to earth that we might go to heaven. Jesus was born of a virgin that we might be born again. Jesus became the Son of Man that we might become sons of God. Now, Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, that for even the Son of Man came not to, to be served, but to serve and to, to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came for a purpose. Jesus will say in Luke 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Peter will say in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, Jesus Christ is, is a Savior, and everyone here today, in fact, everyone in the world needs a Savior. And there's nobody here that can simply th think that, you know, if, if I... If I'm good enough, or if I, if I love enough, or if I give enough, if I, if I serve enough, I'll make it happen. Nobody can do that. Because none of us are going to be able to stand before God without Jesus Christ being their Savior. So the angel goes on in verse 32. You shall name him Jesus, and he will be great. And will be called the Son of the Most High. He, he will be great. He he will be great in his person. He will, he will be great in everything that he accomplishes. He will be great because he will save his people from their sins. But it says, and he will be called the son of the most high. And in the Old Testament, the most high is the, the name given for God. It's, it means that he's above everyone. And he's above everything. Because he's above everything, he's the only one who is, who is worthy to be to be worshipped. And this child that will be born will be called the Son of the, of the Most High. It says later that he, he is holy, the Son of God. And as I said, the first part speaks to his humanity that was, he was born in the flesh, but this, this speaks to his, to his deity. That as the Son of God, he, he is both fully God and Fully man. This is what we call the, the hypostatic union. If you want a good sermon on the hypostatic union, go back to our Christmas series last year. Pastor Jeff did an amazing job. I'm not going to get deep into it. But the hypostatic union is the uniting of, of, of two natures. His deity in, in, in hum, and humanity in, in one person, Jesus Christ. How can we have a mediator between us and God? Because we have a mediator who is both God and, and man. Colossians 1, Paul speaking of Christ's preeminence says this, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, Paul will say later on in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, 
For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. When Jesus Christ emptied himself and became a man, he didn't give up his deity. No, he became a servant to die on a cross for our sins. He is above all things. He is the creator of the world, and he comes to earth to love us and to save us. Verse 32 and 33 says, And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. In light of our current political situations, we can easily find, easily fall into the trap of, of thinking that, that we're going to have some human person deliver us. But we already have a deliverer. We already have a king. You know, I was looking at, at, at monarchs this week, and the, the oldest reigning monarch today is who? Queen Elizabeth. That she, is, she has actually been reigning for 69 years. I mean, that's, that's amazing. The longest ever is 72 years. That's amazing. We have a Savior whose kingdom will, will never end because He was raised from the dead. He reigns and He will reign over the house of, of Jacob forever and His kingdom there, there will be no end. And this is a, a quote from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, speaking some 700 years before the conception and the birth of Christ, Isaiah 9 verse 6 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom. Now this, this child that will be born will be God in human flesh, and he will sit on, on David's throne, and he, he will rule over the house of Jacob forever. He is, he is the King of kings and the, and the Lord of lords. And Mary responds to this in verse 34, and she says, how will this be since I am a virgin? How will this be? I, I, I've never been married. I, I've never known a man. Which brings us to, to our fourth point. It's, it's a miraculous power. Now, this is a supernatural event, and Mary responds, how is this, how is this going to happen, Gabriel? You know, it's, it's one thing, as I said, for Elizabeth to have a baby in her old age, because she has a husband. But the angel answers Mary and says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the, the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. No, there is a, this miraculous power in the conception of Jesus Christ within Mary, and the child is, will not be conceived like any other child. He, will, he won't be the, the son of Joseph except by adoption, but the Holy Spirit will, will come upon her in a, a miraculous way. And I know that it's a miracle, and therefore we don't really completely understand this. We understand how conception takes place on a natural level, but we don't completely understand this. But that, that doesn't shake our faith. In fact, it bolsters our faith that the God of the universe who spoke the world into to existence can bring about the conception of Christ in this, in this virgin. Now, this is, this is who we are as Christians. We, we walk by faith and, and not by sight. 
but it also shows in the power of God that He is, he is worthy to be worshipped, that He cared so, so much for us that, that He would send His one and only Son to become a man, to die on a cross for our sins. And we worship God because He is holy and, and, and righteous, but we also worship Him because He is powerful. We worship Him because He spoke the world into existence. We worship Him because He, he parted the Red Sea. We worship Him because He raised, raised Jesus from the dead. And we, we worship God because he, he conceived Jesus in the womb of Mary. And He did that so that, that Jesus Christ might be our, our Savior. There was a purpose. And therefore, we worship Him. This is why He is worthy to be worshipped. And Mary asked, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And notice that that Mary's question isn't whether it will take place or not. She's not doubting that it's going to happen. She, she simply wants to know how it's going to happen. And the angel tells her in verse 37, he says, For nothing will be impossible with God. I mean, God is omnipotent. And the angel Gabriel's answer to the virgin birth is, is God has power. There's nothing that, that he can't do. But brothers and sisters, I want to ask you this. Do you believe that? You know, as we, as we pray, as we seek God, as we, we pray for people, and I know that we have family members who don't know Christ, we have challenges and, and family members who are suffering sicknesses and illnesses, do we believe that, that God is able to do all things? He's able to do whatever He pleases. Do we believe that? Because if we don't believe that, that, that will just lead us not to pray. But if we believe that He is able to do whatever He desires, and, and, and in fact, whatever we ask, doesn't mean He always wills it, but it gives us a hope that we would come before Him and, and that we would rest our faith on His omnipotence. If God is, on, is not omnipotent, we, we have no reason to pray. If He has no power to change things, we have no reason nor any right, for that matter, to pray. Now, J.C. Ryle says this, Faith never rests so calmly and peacefully as when it lays its head on the pillow of God's omnipotence. You know, when you know you're, you're going through this trial and and you've come to a place of acceptance that, that God is good and that He's going to see you through it. You have this ability, when you trust in, in the omnipotent God, that He is, is sovereign over all things. You have this unnatural ability to have peace that surpasses all understanding. And that you might lay your head on the, on the pillow of his, of his omnipotence, saying, God, you've got it. I don't have to worry because, because you are in control. You know, and there's a huge message for us in, in Christ's conception. That from the very beginning, God has a plan and a purpose to save His people. And what it tells us is that as God breaks into to the world through the, through the virgin birth, God intervenes in such a way that, that shows us that, that salvation belongs to Him, that it does not belong to us. We didn't we didn't call God down. We didn't call God to, to send Jesus. No, but God sent Jesus, as Paul says, while we were yet his enemies. 
Christ died for us. No, salvation is, is of the Lord, and as we respond to the various trials that we go through in life, how we respond shows whether we, we trust Him or not. You know, how you respond, whether you, you do or, or you don't, if, if, if you are frantic and worried and anxious, it shows that you're not fully trusting Him. And so what do we do? We, we remember. We remember that, that God is omnipotent. We, we remember that He's sovereign. We, we remember that He has our lives in His hands and that He cares for us and loves us. So how should we respond? I think we, re- we should respond like Mary responds. She responds with a, with a modest submission. Verse 38 says, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let it be according to your word. This young teenage girl, I think we need to commend Mary. She's a great example of, to us, how we should respond to the things that we're going through in our lives, to, to the trials that we're going through, the, the things that, that God has called us to. Let it be to me according to your word. You know, there's a, a courage and a faith and a, and a humility displayed in Mary that, that we don't often, often see in the most mature of Christians today. Now, she just trusts. God, I, I trust you that, that, that you have placed me in this situation. And, and, and if I accept this with all humility and, and courage and faith, I know, God, that, that I'm going to be free. Understand that you are in control of this and not me. See, it's when, when we get all frantic, we want to be in control. But Mary, Mary just simply says, let it be to me according to your word. She has a great trust in in Christ, and, and she knew that her submission is, is going to be a means of, of freedom to her, that, that she knew that the, the best place for her was at the center of God's will. And there's a submission that understands that this is the very heart of, of the Christian life, that we are, are constantly rehearsing and, and surrendering as we go through the things of life. Now, the Christian's life Christian life can be summed up in, in Mary's response to Gabriel, and it's a, a God-centered belief and, and thinking and, and, and living and displayed, and she does this just simply by, you know, I, I am your servant. I'm your servant. You know, and my friends, as I said, this is the, the very heart of, of being a Christian, but it's the very heart of believing in response to the gospel. When we hear the gospel being proclaimed, it's, it's a submission. It's coming to Him by faith and understanding that, that we cannot save ourselves. It's, it's saying, I, I'm going to let go of my, all my self-righteousness and I'm going to, to grab onto the Savior and trust Him. Now, when you believe the gospel, your whole life is reoriented around God and His Word and you, you begin to love and to serve others. And when you do it, you realize that, that it's not a burden, that it's a great joy to, to be in, in, under the sovereign hand of God and to, to understand that, that he, is, 
is living and working through you and to, to accomplish His purposes. It's, free, it's a freeing thing to be able to joyfully serve others. And all the freedom that the world promises you that goes against God's words is in fact bondage. How many of us understand that? That we, when we choose to, to follow the things of the world and we think, oh, that, that's going to provide some sort of satisfaction to me, we realize it's empty. It's fleeting. No, and it, and it leads to bondage. So I want to finish with this. So, so if you want to, to live and act and think like a Christian at this, this Christmas time, then come to Him. Come to Him in humility, turning your eyes and orienting your hearts toward Jesus Christ. Understand the honor and the, and the privilege you have as a son and, and daughter of God. Understand that we have a, a mighty Savior whose kingdom will never end, who is awesome in power, and that He is sovereign over everything. And then accept with joy what He has for your life. Whatever you're going through, whatever He's called you to, accept that with joy. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for your son. I pray that this season would be a time of great adoration of our Lord Jesus Christ and, and adoring him for becoming a man and, and living a perfect, sinless life and suffering on a cross for our sins. Father, we thank you again for your, for your sovereign grace to us. In Jesus' name, amen.